0: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world.
1: This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher, control! me before I change my
0: mind! I give you Super Train. Oh,
2: Episode 319, Submission Number Ought 16, Mr. President. Mr. President aired on Fox from May 3rd, 1987 to February 13th, 1988, for 24 episodes over two seasons. <laughs> So we have another one of those, every TV show that ever failed has a story. This story has three sort of converging paths. The first one has to do with Johnny Carson, who is looking to make bank off of his big name at NBC. Because for the last 25 years, as this show started to air... I know this because I spent all week looking at all promos, and one of them was the 25th anniversary of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That's coming next year. Johnny Carson was making substantial bank. And with his clout, he's pretty much given carte blanche to do whatever he wants. At this point, you see him branching out his Carson Productions shingle, to include Amen with Sherman Hemsley and Clifton Davis. But it also included another show that, I don't know if it was pitched to NBC, but it ended up coming on Fox, which we are going to talk about in our second path here. In 1987, the Fox Broadcasting Company, having just started out as a network, was looking for something, anything, to put on their schedule. So, for the first season, they only did Sunday nights, and the Sunday night schedule went as follows. At 7 o'clock, you had 21 Jump Street, gritty crime drama featuring police officers who could pass for high schoolers. Married with children at 8 o'clock. At 8.30 was the Tracy Yellman Show, a sketch comedy featuring the British multi-hyphenate, responsible for the 80s lost gem, They Don't Know. At 9.30, we have Duet, which was a look inside the relationship of two people and their friends. And the dog. But at nine o'clock we have Mr. President, this show. Which was created by Johnny Carson and one of the brightest comedic stars that ever come out of the nineteen seventies, Ed Weinberger. We I believe we've, we've talked, talked about it, we've
1: talked Oh no, uh, there's no we've Oh, I think we've talked about him. He was the voice of Mr. Smith.
2: See, I know. Wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. Why is Greg looking at me like this is a new revelation? I was just like, yeah, Mr. Smith. Episode two. Yeah, he was the voice of Mr. Smith. Episode two, exactly. Also, hashtag, give us Mr. Smith.
2: Come on, Shout Factory. Come on, Keto Lorber. Come on, Crackle. Come on, anybody. But yeah, after having success with Mr. Smith and uh, some show about a taxi in New York, I forget what the name of it was.
1: I bet it had a person named Tony on it.
2: I bet you it did. And I bet you it had that person named Tony playing a guy named Tony.
3: And I also bet you it had a guy doing a funny foreign voice.
1: And also it would have the future Frank Reynolds.
3: Oh, yeah. And also it would have a guy who would later invent a time
2: machine. Out of DeLorean? And that brings us to path number three. A guy who wasn't really looking to do television. In fact, he said, as he was doing press junkets for this show... That he was trying to retire for the last 20 years with no avail. And that would be legendary actor George C. Scott. And kids, if
3: you don't know who George C. Scott is, I got one word for you.
1: Patton. That's all you really need to know. You're right.
2: I think he won every award in the book for playing George Patton.
3: I think he didn't accept the Oscar for that, though. I think he pulled a um, a Marlon Brando when he won the Oscar for it. He didn't accept it. I'm going to
2: have to do some live research on that
1: well, one. Well, well, Marlon Brando would have been after uh, George C. Scott. Because Brando would have been 72, and Scott would have been 70, I believe.
3: Yeah, but I think he did it first before Brando. If I'm not mistaken.
2: But yeah, this is an actor who has done everything under the sun, but has not been on a solid TV series since he played social worker Neil Brock in East Side West Side in 1963. And he only agreed, and this is him talking, he only agreed to do the show because of the talent involved, the challenge of the role, and the chance to make enough money to quit show business forever. Scott said, and this is according to an article from the Florida Sun-Sentinel, Retirement, the key to my existence. I've been trying to retire for 20 years, and economically it hasn't been possible. Well, it is 1986, 1987, so... This show was incredibly stacked with talent. It had some of the best sitcom writers up to that point. With David Lloyd, Ed Weinberger, Johnny Carson, and Gene Reynolds. It also had some of the best actors up to that point. We'll get to those in a moment. But it seems like with some of the best actors, and some of the best writers, it never really found... It's place. So why is that? Well, we'll find out as we talk about the series. The plot of the series is that we have a newly elected President of the United States in Samuel Arthur Tretch, the former governor of Wisconsin. Joining him in the Oval Office were his wife, Meg, Their two children, 16-year-old Cynthia and 12-year-old Nick, and his chief of staff, Charlie Ross. During the second season, his wife would have left him, and joining the cast would be his sister-in-law, Lois. We'll get to who plays who, oh, right now. George C. Scott, of course, played President Samuel Tretch. His wife, Meg, was played by Carlin Glynn, who is a life member of the Actors Studio who made her Tony-winning Broadway debut in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, playing Mona Stagley. She was also the mother of Molly Ringwald's character in Sixteen Candles, if you remember that movie. But mostly, she's known for being the mother of Mary Stuart Masterson. Playing eldest daughter Cynthia is Maddie Corman, who was one of the regulars on, if I'm not mistaken, All-American Girl with Margaret Cho. And uh, a week's worth of Mathnet episodes where she is the best friend of an unwitting robot pitcher. But mostly, she has been in Younger on TV Land as of late. Younger son, Nick, is played by Andre Gower, who is, nowadays, he's more of a writer and director, but he's been in a few things. Like, from 1988 to 1989, he was Steve Traeger on Valerie, Valerie's Family, The Hogan Family, whatever it was called, in 1988. What was it called in 1988?
3: I think, wasn't it Valerie's family after the second season, and then became the Hogan family after the yes. third season?
2: Yes. And while we're on MathNet, he was also on a week's worth of MathNet episodes playing Eddie Rimshot Harris, the best friend of rock star Steve Stringbean. And rounding out the cast as Chief of Staff, Charlie Ross, is Conrad Bain y'all know who conrad bain is we're talking mod we're talking different strokes what else is there i think that's it yeah it is pretty much it and so we have president tretch trying to juggle work life and family life which is hard when you're the president of the united states and it gets even harder during season two when his wife leaves him. Leaving the responsibility of raising Nick and Cynthia to Lois Gullickson, the president's sister-in-law, played by Madeline Kahn, legendary. We have all of these people, and this is supposed to be sort of a slice of life when we're talking about the president, his work life, and his home life, but the thing of it is, and I'm looking at a press junket that they did with uh, George C. Scott and Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson said, This is not a situation comedy. I would call it more of a drama with humor and with comedy and all the other emotions people have within a family. I watched two episodes on YouTube. It sort of reads as a comedy. I guess the thought was to do a drama with comedic elements, but then they looked at the ratings and nobody watched it, so they decided, you know what, screw it, we're just going to make a sitcom. Because both of the episodes that are available on YouTube as of this recording... Are very much sitcom y in their sort of feeling and their sort of timbre. One of them involves a visit to the dentist. I mean, it's not exactly that's my Bush level sitcom drudgery, but it definitely looks like a duck and talks like a duck and quacks like a duck. Now, we've tried up and down for the last week. To search for an episode guide so we can get more of a feeling of how much of a sitcom this reads like. But all we found were those two episodes that were on YouTube. And they were both from the second season with Madeline Kahn starting out her life as the sister-in-law of the president. And just getting used to life as a member of the first family. You know, you have a Secret Service agent go shopping at Kmart with you.
3: Hold on a second, I just realized something. Madeline Kahn played the first lady to Bob Newhart in the movie First Family. And do you know who played their daughter in that movie?
2: Who played their daughter in that movie?
3: Gilda Radner. Yeah. That was a Buck Henry joint, I think, First Family.
2: I'm going to have to look at that later. Because it seems like it would be a whole lot better watched than, well, this show. Yeah. But let's see what we have going on here. Because there may not be a lot of episode descriptions, but there are a lot of guest stars. And I believe that would be Johnny Carson using his clout in order to secure all of these guest stars. So let's see what we have here. In the pilot alone, the pilot alone that aired in May... We had Allie Mills playing a character named Pat. Of course, this would be a year before she landed the role that made her career as Kevin Arnold's mama on The Wonder Years. Oh yeah. In our second episode, The Magnetic Presidency, we have a character named Brian played by Jack Blessing, who would have at this point be a couple of decades removed from bit roles in Talladega Nights and Megamind, but during the late 80s, early 90s, would have found him in a recurring role as McGillicuddy in Moonlighting. Some walk by night. By the but... way, that theme music is a banger.
3: Oh, hold on a second. Because I think a while back we talked about how Moonlighting was not on streaming and, I think uh, I was in the news recently that Glenn Gordon-Karen announced that they're getting Moonlighting ready for streaming soon.
2: Well, if they could put Doctor Who on Disney+, I suppose
3: anything's possible. Yep.
1: Now, which service were they going to put this on?
3: Um, I'm going to guess it's probably Hulu or Disney+, Plus, since Moonlighting was an ABC-owned show.
2: It's probably going to be Hulu.
3: Okay.
2: Oh, Jack Blessing, by the way, played Chip Fry in Small and Fry, future entry there. Episode 3, Cabin Fever. This is really tough without uh, an episode guide. I'm not going to lie to you here. Nobody of note on that episode. Episode 4, Freedom of Speech in the role of Constance Garrett we have Linda Carlson who played Aunt Pearl in the 1993 Beverly Hillbillies movie. Oh, the
3: 1983 Beverly Hillbillies movie with uh Jim Varney
2: in the Buddy Epson role. yes. That's right. And uh
3: did Oswald from Drew Carey play Jethro? Uh
2: yes. That is correct. And oh she was also a recurring player on the 1985 and 1986 seasons of New Heart as Bev Dutton. One of the writers of this episode, Jonathan Lynn, who wrote Clue. So like I said, big talent attached to this show. And speaking of big talent, episode five, Meet the People, was written by David Lloyd who would have been writing for multiple sitcoms at this point, most notably Cheers, and playing the role of Wesley in this episode, Ian Petrella, who you would know as Randy Parker in A Christmas Story.
3: Oh, by the way, did you know that A Christmas Story is getting a sequel soon on HBO Max?
2: Yes, A Christmas Story Christmas.
3: Peter Billingsley back as Ralphie.
1: Yeah, I I saw that. I think it's coming like the second week of November, like 14th, 15th, something like that. I'm going to have
2: to make time to watch that because I I didn't even see the trailer yet. I was too busy sleeping.
3: Yeah. Well, also, I think uh, Vince Vaughn is a producer on the movie because, yeah, him and uh, Peter Billingsley have been a long time producing partners with Favreau, so...
2: There is your triumvirate there. Vince Vaughn, John Favreau, and Peter Billingsley.
3: By the way, did you see Vince Vaughn was on the Manning cast last week?
2: I did see. He played the role of long-suffering Bears fam.
3: Yeah, but they talked... It was so hilarious. Peyton and Eli talked about the one scene in the movie Rudy where his character threw a pass, and they actually asked... Was that you actually throwing the pass? And he was like, "I remember that." He was like, "No, that was like a double." And we only had like two tries to do the scene, so they asked me to get the hell off the field.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna add one more name here in this episode. Playing Bullard is Barry Corbin. He's had a ton of roles. He played Coach Whitey and One Tree Hill. He was also Ed on Anger Management the TV series uh with Charlie Sheen. You remember that was on like FX. Yeah. For a while then was in syndication, yeah. But he has a very diverse uh, resume to say the least. He was also uh on uh, Northern Exposure. Maurice Minifield. And I know how much we love our Northern Exposure.
3: Gassy Moose. Gassy Moose.
1: And we know how much Greg likes his Northern Exposure.
3: Not
2: as much as Wings, though.
3: Oh, no. I love Wings. Made Tony Shaloub's career.
2: Episode 6, Private Moments. Nothing there. Episode 7, The First Son-in-Law. Here, I'm guessing we have a wedding between somebody in the president's family, which would actually, hold on, I have her name here. The eldest daughter, Jennifer, played by Susan Wheeler Duff, is visiting the president with her new husband. Her new husband, by the way, Fred, played by Fred McCarron, who sadly is no longer with us. But he was in the Richard III cast in the cinematic classic, The Goodbye Girl.
3: So his name was Fred. And his character's name was Fred.
2: Yes, and also yes.
3: That's about as lazy as naming that tornado in Erie, Indiana, old Bob as credited as himself.
1: I thought you were going to say that's as lazy as any Tony Danza character being named Tony.
2: That is lazy.
3: Except on Baby Talk. He played Mickey. Mickey. Not to be confused with Mikey from Look Who's Talking. Two
2: different people. Two different people.
3: Tony Danza is not Bruce Willis. We all know
1: this. Yeah, we already had this conversation a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah. Speaking of a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about Fred in previous entries. Here's Boomer, and you're gonna make me say this again. I'm a big girl now.
1: Well, congratulations.
3: <laughs> and as we also learned. I'm a big girl now is the name of that clothing place that Herb Abrams ran. Oh, God! Frig, <laughs> uh, no! You knew I was gonna work in a Herb Abrams
2: reference. Anytime you have a chance to, you're gonna do it, aren't you? Yes. Oh, boy. Let's just go to episode eight, shall we? Uncle Sam. I'm guessing that's a play on words and we meet the Tretches' nephew. Which I'm not sure is actually in this episode, but we do have a guy by the name of Justin, played by Robin Thomas, who is in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Also played Dr. Fred Harmon in two episodes of Fuller House. Of course, that would be uh, Jeff Harmon's father. Jeff Harmon and DJ had a thing. Episode 9, Strange Bedfellows. We have a couple of big names in this episode. Uh, Playing the role of Peggy would be Barbara Barry, who played Harriet Benjamin in the original theatrical Private Benjamin, but also originated the role of Elizabeth Miller, the wife of the titular captain, Barney Miller.
1: Oh, Chico, don't forget your money in the bank for next year, because she was on Double Trouble.
2: She was on Double Trouble. Aunt Margo. Mm-hmm. Season two, baby. We'll talk more about that in January. Oh, we have another big name on this show. Uh, Playing Janet Braden would be Kay Callan. And really, what hasn't she done? She was Great Nana Wanetta in Knives Out. She was Judy Sherman on Veep. She was Martha freaking Kent, Clark Kent's mother... Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. She was Grandma Lois in How I Met Your Mother. You know who Grandma Lois is, right?
3: Is she Marshall's grandma?
2: I think she was Lily's grandma. Okay, I was close. And she was also in Oh gosh, she was in Episodes of Everything it seems like. She played Tilly, Hank's mother, in three episodes of King of the Hill. I guess they couldn't get uh, Tammy Wynette back. And Betty's mom, Greg, I'm about to do a callback here. Okay. Betty's mom, in 1987's The Return of the Shaggy Dog.
3: Oh, that's right, because we all remember that Betty's dad was played by Jim
2: McCrell. Yep, Jim McCrell and Kay Callan, mom and dad.
3: And you know what, if you have not listened to The Return of the Shaggy Dog, which was my money in the bank last year.
2: Very good choice there, Greg.
3: I gotta say, doesn't get a lot of views or listens, but I gotta tell you, you should listen to it, because I think that was a pretty damn good episode. Especially the part when Be as the dog was playing in the commercial dog poker and 3 card Monty. I was dead.
2: You were dead. You were deceit. You are like, I am dead. I am deceased. R.I.P. Me.
3: Dog poker is hilarious.
2: I don't care what anybody says. Dog poker is indeed hilarious. And then we go into the season finale, "Love's Labor Last," where we see the return of Peggy, Brian, and Justin, but we also see Meg decide, you know what? I'm out. And that comes into bear for season two, which would have premiered two months later on September 27th, 1987. Because, you know, the first season of Fox as a primetime network was basically that summer. And that fall, they moved from just Sundays to Sundays and Saturdays, which included, of course... Beans Baxter, and Second Chance, both of which we discussed in previous episodes.
3: Because remember, originally, when Fox started out, they were advertised as Fox Weekend Television.
2: It started with a two-parter, Season 2, Dear Sam Parts 1 and 2, where we see Lois move into the White House and help raise the two kids, Cynthia and Nick. We also see the return of Justin, and in a role as Mort, Lee Weaver, who has been in a whole lot of stuff. I mean, he was the blind seer in Oh, Brother, we Art Now. He was Joe in The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and he played a junkyard owner. God, it's been a long time since I did this, but I finally get to do it. In an episode of. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia.
3: What episode and what season?
2: Uh, that would be Bubs Making a Mess All Over the City. <laughs> yes. Season 3, episode 14. Bubs Making a Mess All Over the City. <laughs> where Dean and Mac become guardian angels and clean up the streets when a bum starts using the alley behind the bar to, uh... <laughs> relieve himself, but not the way you're thinking of.
3: <laughs> they became guardian angels! Where was Curtis Silva to do a guest spot on this episode?
2: He was also a that guy from that thing. In fact, I'm trying to see where he had, like, a lasting role in a series. And that would actually be in 1986's Easy Street with Lonnie Anderson.
3: Oh, future entry Easy Street with Lonnie Anderson.
2: Yeah, he did that at the same time he recorded a voice as Alpine in G.I. Joe the movie. Oh,
3: yes, G.I. Joe the movie. And you know who was in G.I. Joe the movie,
2: Chico? Sergeant Slaughter.
3: Yes, Sergeant Slaughter had a voice in G.I. Joe the movie.
2: Yeah, little did he know that that movie was not going to see theatrical release. No. There's a whole story about this, but I'm just going to sum it up by saying Optimus Prime died so Duke could live.
3: Let me just say, I think the reason that this did not have a theatrical release explains why Sergeant Slaughter turned heel and joined Iraq in the WWF.
2: Okay, so Lee Weaver was in a lot of things dating back to 1955's Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, not the reboot with Tina Lee, Nolan, the original.
3: The one with Tanya Roberts, right? Or no, the original.
2: The original, 1955.
3: Okay, good, good, not the Tanya Roberts one.
2: That's terrible. Yeah. We try not to talk about the Tanya Roberts one. And we see the return in part two of eldest daughter Jennifer, played by Susan Wheeler Duff. And Fred, played by Fred McCarran As the director for both of these episodes, somebody we talked about on a previous entry, Greg Antonacci, who would have parlayed his acting talents from making it to directing. Episode 3. Armageddon kind of sore. I'm guessing that we have a bit of a, a doomsday scenario in this episode, but we don't know for sure. But we do know for sure that this show had two big names on it. Playing the role Bozdek, Dan florrick best known for a career-making role on Law and & Order. And playing the role of Reinbeck, Robert Picardo, known for a career-making role as the Doctor in Star Trek Voyager. Episode 4, he'll have to go. Oh, God, we have a legend in this episode here. We don't know the name of the uh, character he played, but Joe Seneca, legendary actor Joe Seneca, he was in this episode. He was in 1988's The Blob, he was in 1992's Malcolm X, and he was in Edge of Night as Skipper. Episode 5. Okay, this was one of the episodes that's actually available on YouTube. The Language Barrier. And I can tell you right now about this episode. The president needs an interpreter to handle his business while he's getting ready for a summit with the Russians in Iceland. And he also needs his tooth extracted. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, suffice it to say, hilarity ensues, especially when Charlie can't bring himself to look at the drill, or the needle, or anything at the uh, dentist's, to be honest.
1: Now's as good of a time as any to take a little commercial break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: Sunday, Al Bundy drops the hammer on a night-stalking neighborhood menace. Al, tell him. you got to promise me that you'll let me finish. Sure, Al. I shot your dog. Oh, no. I'm finished. Outrageous comedy on Married with Children. Sunday at 8 on Fox Channel 5. Want a great entertainment that's not too expensive? You should see cable TV now. Call 1-800-OK-CABLE. See 175 exclusive World Championship Mets and Yankees games. See a complete news report anytime you want to. I like what I see. Call 1-800 OK Cable. See quality shows for kids and families. See exclusive Knicks and Rangers games plus MSG premier events. See acclaimed films and performing arts specials. I like what I see. Call 1-800 OK Cable. See music Max Headroom style, James Brown style, just your style. See exclusive U.S. Open tennis and Masters golf coverage.
3: I like what I see.
0: See us now and get 50% off installation. See how to get more value from your VCR. See your satisfaction guaranteed. Get cable TV now. You're going to like what you see. But to see us now, you've got to call us now. 1-800-OK-CABLE.
1: I like it. Me too. Hi, that's me again Richard Golden of Rescue with some knockout spring fashions The comfortable easygoing look in short sleeve shirts and shorts All at Rescue in the village on Hudson off Christopher Naturally, we're doing our commercial in Florida Why? So I can visit my mother
0: Meet Ben and Laura. In four weeks, it could all be over. Oh, no, the I like you speech. In three weeks, they have their first fight. Cut the sweet talk, Ben. I'm angry. In two weeks, Laura falls for Ben. In one week, Ben falls for Laura. Sunday, they meet. Duet.
2: Episode 6. Lois Gate. I'm guessing Lois gets in trouble, which, let's be honest, when she moved into the White House, she was basically on the cusp of getting in trouble every week. I honestly think Madeline Conn was added to the cast to um, try and boost ratings, try and get eyeballs, and try to make everything, I don't know, funny? Possibly. Possibly. Episode 7. Yes, Mr. President. And we have, in this episode, a guy named Dave, played by Earl Bone. If I'm not mistaken, we've talked about Earl Bone in the past. Oh, we've
3: talked about him many times in the past. I think we talked about him in Second Chance, because he played uh, Matthew Perry's boss in Second Chance. Yep. And also, I believe he was the doctor in uh, the Terminator movies. The psychiatrist.
2: He He was the psychiatrist in the Terminator movies, yes. And he was also Mr. Peterson in five episodes of Who's the Boss.
3: And of course, Mike, how many times do we have to say this? We all know who the boss was on that show. It was Mona. Mona was the boss on Who's the Boss. I think we've said that several times, yes. There's no
2: doubt. Catherine Hellman. She was the boss. Episode 8. Lois gets lucky. One of the Names in this episode, and again, no idea whose name, what the character's name was, but a big name on this episode, Steve Landisberg. Of course, he played Arthur Dietrich on Barney Miller. Episode 9, The President's Brother. Playing the role of the President's Brother, I'm guessing, is Eugene Roche would be the landlord in season two onward of webster webster yeah he was the landlord for like 50 episodes because at the beginning of season two um webster had a little bit of an accident involving a teddy bear and safety matches
3: oh yeah yeah uh, Mr. Papadopoulos was not very happy,
2: I bet. But they found his hat, though, so...
1: Also, let's not forget that Eugene Roche, he was E. Ronald Malou on soap for every season, primarily the, the first season into the second season, because that season ended on a cliffhanger with a trial, because I believe Jessica Tate... I think she was on trial for murdering the tennis pro who was played by Robert Urich. Yes. But he made uh, appearances throughout the series, but he was best known as one of the lawyers in the trial that concluded season one and started season two, that cliffhanger.
2: Yes, he was also, and I'm just looking at this, and Mike, you would probably know more about this than I would. He played Jack Sullivan on three episodes of Night Court,
1: We've talked about him, that. Christine Sullivan's dad. We have talked about that in the past, yes. Okay.
2: Episode 10. The Christmas Story. Yeah. Oh, we got a big name in this one. Playing the role of Pereira, Pepe Serna. Pepe Serna played Reno, Nevada in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the 8th Dimension.
1: Okay, good. You, you didn't add 17 dimensions this time. Okay, not the 25th dimension. I'm ago.
2: proud of myself!
1: You did a good job. But also, he played Mr. Sanchez
2: on the PJs. I remember that show. I love that show.
1: Oh, that show still... I, I know it's somewhere streaming. I saw it not that long ago. I mean, probably two or three years at this point. But it's out there. But, oh, the PJs was a good show. Really was. I believe and- it's on Tubi.
2: I believe you are correct.
1: Because everything's on Tubi.
2: Everything is on Tubi, yes. He was also on six episodes of Future Entry, Second Chances, because we can't talk about enough shows named Second Chances. Episode 11, Insecurity. Two big names in this episode. Play the Surgeon General, William Bogert, a.k.a. Mr. Brindle from Small Wonder a.k.a. Uh, Ted Lawson's boss, and playing Agent Bell, Christine Rose, a.k.a. Ted's mom on How I Met Your Mother, which we've talked about copious times on this show.
3: Oh, yes, we have. But also, remember who played Ted's dad on How I Met Your Mother?
2: Yes, I do. Michael Gross. <laughs> Episode 12, A Royal Send-Off. I'm guessing the president has an audience with the king played by Oliver Darrow.
3: And let me guess what happens. Hilarity ensues.
2: Yes. By the way, Oliver Darrow, he was in Tequila and Bonetti as Sam Spade.
3: Oh, that's great. Tequila and Bonetti. Another great Donald Pellisaro joint. Oh, by the way, you know who's in Tequila and Bonetti? No, but I bet you're going to tell me. Charles Rockets in Tequila and Bonetti. Oh, boy. Not only that. Oh, no. Terry Funk is in Tequila and Bonetti.
1: <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. Jeez. Uh. Oh.
2: You know what? The moment we talk about Tequila and Bonetti, Greg's just going to absolutely lose it.
3: Oh, oh. <laughs> the dog talking that's oh, just fuck. awesome
2: <laughs> he was also on an episode of Stalk stalkings was so, he the
3: man whore of the week
2: he was the man whore of the week
3: oh that's terrific
2: he was the man whore of the week
1: <laughs> I never thought I'd hear Greg say the word man whore
2: <laughs> it was almost a certainty dude it was almost a certainty And also in an unnamed role, we have Bill Morey. Of course, he was in a whole lot of things. He was Judge Wakefield in Seven Seasons of Dallas. He was a whole lot of voices in G.I. Joe and G.I. Joe the Movie. And he played Lieutenant Sean Fisk in future entry Tucker's Witch.
3: Oh, that's right. Tucker's Witch, with um, Catherine Hicks,
2: yes, and Tim Matheson, yes, and Ted Danson as the killer in both pilots. That's right,
3: and I was shocked when I saw it. I'm like, Sam alone is the killer in the pilot.
2: Yeah, episode thirteen, all about Gene. I'm guessing there's a Gene in this episode, but I don't know who she is or who played her. Sorry about that.
3: Who cares? 8.30 is the mink man. And the final
2: episode, get a job. Somebody is getting a job.
3: Hold on. That's what Fox said to everybody who worked on this show after the last episode. Get a job!
2: Hey, one of the people who worked on this episode would not have long a wait to getting a job because this episode was written by SNL writer John Schwartzwalder, who would go on to write several episodes of The Simpsons.
3: Several? It's many episodes of The
2: Simpsons. Hundreds of episodes of The Simpsons.
3: Yeah, including my personal favorite, the Whacking Day episode.
2: With Barry White. Leave all the snakes alone. Don't bother. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: Don't bother the snakes. Leave the snakes alone.
2: That's the show, and we are no closer to answering the question about what happened.
3: I'll tell you what happened. It was on Fox in 1987.
2: Nobody watched it. Yeah. Let's go over the schedule one more time. 21 Jump Street, Married with Children, The Tracy Yellman Show, Mr. President, and Duet. It's no big brainstorm as to what the week link was.
1: Well, no, I'm going to do a different reason. If you look at the schedule, on each of the other three networks was their Sunday night movie of the week. So you're going against a movie on ABC, a movie on CBS, and a movie on NBC. And you remember how big those movies of the weeks were on Sunday nights back then? Oh, movies
3: movies of the week, I mean, they're not really so much of a thing anymore. But back in like the eighties and nineties, like when you had like a big movie airing for the first time on
2: television, that was like an event back then.
1: Oh yeah, it was a Sunday night event. Absolutely, yeah.
2: And if you didn't have a big movie that was airing for the first time on television you had a movie made especially for television that had to be sort of event programming. Hence the uh, billing, the movie of the week. Like, uh, in 1987, when Mr. President was on, and by the way, at this point, it would be rating a 3.3 in between Duet's 3.6 and Tracy Ellman show's 3.6. Also, both in repeats, it was airing opposite Lace from 1984 and Malice in Wonderland from 1985, both of which scored double or triple what Mr. President was pulling.
3: You know, if you can get a 3.3 in October of 2022... You're guaranteed renewal.
2: Pretty much, yeah. But then, the week of August 23rd, when Mr. President was in reruns, it was on opposite The Man Who Fell to Earth, which was basically a retread of the classic story, and Circus of the Stars. And... Staying Alive with John Travolta, all of which scored triple, if not quadruple, what Mr. President was pulling.
3: Let it be said, 1987, John Travolta, bigger ratings getter than George C. Scott.
2: And then you had the season premiere, which saw Mr. President move from 9 o'clock to 930 And the competition was a whole lot tougher then. It was up against the second half hour of ABC's new entry, Dolly, starring Dolly Parton. CBS's new entry, The Law and Harry McGraw. Future entry! And something we talked about early in this episode, a rerun of the 1984 theatrical The Terminator.
3: Yeah, because obviously Arnold in 1987, big ratings, especially for The Terminator.
2: So the hope was, in flip-flopping Mr. President and The Tracy Ellman Show, that The Tracy Ellman Show would serve as a bigger lead-in? That did not work out for it. In 1987, you had 21 Jump Street, followed by Married with Children for an Hour, a new episode, and the rerun. Then you had the Tracy Ellman show, and then you had Mr. President. It worked out for Tracy Ellman, the whole Married with Children lead-in, for Mr. President, not so much. No. I mean, it was steady, but at the same time, it wasn't making any waves on its own. And Fox was just content to let it go after 24 episodes. I mean, even Women in Prison, which was new to the lineup, got a 6.3, and it couldn't help out Mr. President.
3: Hold on, you said Women in Prison.
2: Now
3: you're in jail!
2: You were waiting for that, weren't you?
1: Yes, I was. Huh. It's like summoning the boogeyman. Chico, you knew once you said women in prison, you knew he was going to sing it. But it's still very well done, Greg. Hold
3: on, you said the boogeyman. I don't see anyone eating worms around me. Oh, boy. Oh! Whammy, what are you doing here?
2: He wasn't waiting for the boogeyman.
1: I, I don't see anything. I what saw are you talking about? I saw the whammy.
2: Ah! Yeah, did we mention that uh, in the middle of season two, the show went on hiatus for a bit? No. Because that would have been important. It actually cycled between Saturday and Sunday rather than going on hiatus. In fact, it was really hard to figure out what time it would have been on because it's flip flopped from Saturday to Sunday so much. In fact, I got the uh, Saturday lineup here. Did it help? Let's see. Mr. President, Women in Prison, Beans Baxter, and Second Chance. I'm guessing it did not help. It was on opposite The Facts of Life and two short-lived series, High Mountain Rangers on CBS, And O'Hara, which we talked about in a previous entry. There was something about High Mountain Rangers that was actually notable. Oh yeah, it started Robert Conrad and his two real-life sons, Christian Conrad and Shane Conrad. But aside from that, Mr. President just didn't have much staying power, despite the fact that it had top-notch talent attached to it. It didn't work on Sundays, and it didn't work on Saturdays, and at the end of the season in 1987, Fox was content to uh, move on from both Ed Weinberger and Johnny Carson and search for something new. Thoughts, guys?
3: Yeah, it's like, okay, I know it's Fox in 1987, but... Who's going to want to tune in to see George C. Scott on Fox as the president in a, like, sitcom? I think the only reason I'd want to see it is for Conrad Bain. That's it. Because I love Conrad Bain.
1: I'm going to agree with what Greg said. George C. Scott doing comedy? That just doesn't work. And I know it's like a comedy drama, but also at the same time, Johnny Carson doing non-comedy or a, a very light drama? That's sort of cringeworthy to me. Stay in your own lane. You're good at comedy. Don't try crossing the streams, if you will.
2: Well, like I said, there are two episodes out on the YouTube, and both of them very much look like a sitcom. They very much had sitcom guts, sitcom vibes. This was written by sitcom writers. It was probably, you know, you probably didn't want to make light of the fact that you're talking about the president. But again, this is the private life of a very public individual. Of course, it is going to be funny. Problem was, it was on Fox in 1987. And no one was watching Fox in 1987.
3: And can I just point out, there's an ad I saw for this show on WNYW talking about this show and the people's reaction. And one of the questions is, everybody in New York is talking about Mr. President.
0: New York is talking about Mr. President. I'm curious
1: to see uh, how much humor they can get into the presidency.
3: And let me just assure you. Okay, I'm going to speak for the people of New York here. In 1987, nobody was
2: talking about Mr. President in New York. Nobody. Yeah, it took a more serious tone than Hail to the Chief, which played it up as a farce. And that's my Bush, which just made fun of the genre wholesale.
3: Hold on. You know what? Took the presidency more seriously than this show. What's that? Mike, do you remember the Xbox 360 game, Hail to the Chimp?
1: I had that game.
3: Yes! That was like a game of mini games, right?
1: And that was friggin' hilarious. Yes! I mean, it, it was like like what, a ten dollar game, twenty it was a really cheap game, but it was friggin' hilarious. That took the presidency
3: more seriously than this show. Never thought you'd get a Hey of the
1: Chimp reference on this podcast. And also, I don't think you would have had two people saying, oh, that was a great game. That was hilarious.
2: Well, it would have worked if it were on any other network at any other time, because I looked at the two episodes that were on YouTube. They were really well-written episodes. There were well-acted episodes, and... You get the sort of chemistry that you would get from a George C. Scott and a Madeline Kahn together. But it was just on the wrong network at the wrong time. I mean, any other time, any other network, it probably would have made it. But in 1987 on Fox, it would just be a thing on TV.
3: Wow! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, allow me to introduce Hail to the Chimp,
0: a game of nefarious cunning, political intrigue, and clams. That's right, clams! For too long, we have been subjugated, ignored, repressed, abused. Now, we shall ascend to our rightful station in society. Yes! Yes! Power to the clams! Kneel! Y- y- things with knees! Kneel
1: before your true master! Episode 320. Submission number 988. FISH! FISH aired on the ABC television network from February 5th of 1977 to May 18th of 1978 for 35 episodes over two seasons. <laughs> Well, guys, we're going to talk, well, first off, we're going to talk about the winner of our election contest. Thank you for those who voted. And as Chico said at the end of the previous episode, the two choices that weren't picked, they're going to get a slot somewhere in the next year. But what we're going to talk about today, this is a spinoff of a pretty big show in the 70s named Barney Miller, and it's just sort of interesting When you look at spinoffs of big shows, yeah, you have spinoffs that are really good. If you talk about Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days, and if you talk about Family Matters, spinning off of Perfect Strangers, again, two very big series. But it seems for like every good spinoff, you have a not so good spinoff. Do we need to talk about Joey? The Tortellis?
3: Hey, as I mentioned before, I love the Tortellis, but not as much as I love Wings, because Wings wasn't the Tortellis as I established.
2: All of this was established early on, yes.
1: Wait, wait, we've actually established that the Tortellis is not Wings? Yes.
2: Okay. Granted, it was similar in Tobra to Wings, but it was not Wings.
1: Yeah, it was in that Um, Cheers air there's only one wings out there. I mean, you can't replicate success. Yeah, I know. You can't, du- you can't duplicate perfection. I know, yeah. but wings is in the Cheers universe since
3: I believe Frazier and love were on wings. So
1: yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. But so yeah, for every Joey and every Tortellis, well, we get a fish. And Fish, as you might imagine, since we said it was a spun off of Barney Miller, had to deal with a character from that show, from Barney Miller. And that person was Phil Fish, one of the detectives. And what's interesting is this show didn't follow Phil Fish's life at the precinct, at the police station. No, no, no. This was solely about his home life. It was about him, his wife, and their family life with their five foster kids. And actually, there is a sixth person, uh, a college student, who was assisting uh, Fish and his wife in, in raising and supervising the kids. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So this is all about the home life. This was nothing about the police department, nothing about being a detective. No, this is all centered wholly around the household.
2: So this was basically a family comedy, whereas Barney Miller was a workplace comedy.
1: Yeah, it would be a workplace comedy if you think about it. Maybe not in the classic sense of a workplace you know, being a police station, but yeah, it, it, it's a, a home life comedy. Yep. And starring uh, as the title character, again, coming straight from Barney Miller, playing Phil Fish, is the legendary, the one and only Abe Vigoda. First time I think we've mentioned him on this podcast.
3: Oh, yes. Abe Vigoda, an absolute all-time legend.
1: And really, outside of Fish and Barney Miller, what has he done? Uh, I know he did Godfather, but besides that... He did Good Burger. He was in Good Burger. You've I never too old for Good Burger. No, I'm just, no but Good Burger came out when I was like 23 or so. I've never seen Good Burger. Oh, how could you have never seen Good Burger? Chico, can you believe that?
2: I can't believe it. I would have thought that Mike would have been the first one of us to see Good Burger. Because, you know, Keenan Thompson, brilliant minds in the making. And Kel Mitchell, the guy who played off of Keenan Thompson.
1: Okay, clearly you don't know me that well. Because (laughs) you do realize the last time I was in a movie theater was 2005.
3: Yeah, but, I mean, come on. It is streaming, like, everywhere at this point.
1: Okay, but, you know, I'm a busy working person, raising my own house, working 40-plus hours a week. I'm not actively going out and looking for Good Burger. I'm sorry. Maybe I Uh, should. I'll just admit it. Maybe I should. And Hot Rod's on Pluto TV right
3: now, streaming on demand, so you need to watch that, too.
2: When you mention Hot Rod, I don't know if you're talking about Roddy Roddy Piper, Roddy Rod Rousey, or Hot Rod from Transformers the movie.
3: I'm talking about Hot Rod the movie of Andy Samberg
2: from oh. 2007. Oh, that Hot Rod. Okay.
1: Yes. I was hoping you were talking about Hot Rod Williams, the former player for the Cavaliers. <laughs> Never thought we'd
3: have a reference to Hot Rod Williams from the Cleveland Cavaliers on this podcast.
2: Him. Anyway, I was looking at the credits for Ape Pagoda, and you'd be surprised at the many things he was in. Of course, he was Salvatore Tessio in two of the three Godfather movies. He played a send up of that character, Salvatore Valestra, in Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1993. The
3: animated movie based on the animated series.
2: Yes, brilliant. Oh, he, wait, hold on. He was in Look Who's Talking, Ape Pagoda. As Grandpa. He was uh Christy Alley's daddy. Yes. And you know what's so hilarious?
3: Okay. Even in nineteen eighty nine when that movie came out, I thought he was like at least like eighty or ninety years old. And like he lived to like what, the late two thousands, early twenty tens? He, he, died, he
2: died in twenty sixteen. Oh my god. A few weeks before Believe it or not, a few weeks before his 95th birthday. Oh! <laughs> so by the time he was in Look Who's Talking, 15 years prior to that.
3: 25? He... Hold on. No, it was 25 years
2: prior to Oh that. yeah, 25. My mistake.
0: Guys, if the movie came out in 1989 and Abe died in 2016, that means it is 27 years and not 25. Do I have to do everything around here?
2: He would have been 70 so he would have been the appropriate age of being a grandfather
1: also thank you for adding some of the roles that he did outside of godfather and barney miller and fish but also if you are of this generation and when i say this generation i'm talking about people who would have seen late night with conan o'brien between like the start like 93 94 and probably right near the end of his NBC run, the the late night run, so we're talking 08-09, he was a semi-regular, I'm not even going to say guest, he appeared in skits. I mean, it seemed like Conan O'Brien had a couple of, like, I don't want to say legends, I'm going to say legends, but not legendary legends. It seems like Conan O'Brien had Nipsey Russell, and Abe Vagoda on speed dial, and whenever he needed a comic foil, uh, he'd get one of the old-time actors. And, of course,
3: Abe Vigoda, he was basically the Tony Randall of Late Night with Conan O'Brien, kind of like how Tony Randall is on Letterman all the time.
1: Or, or Regis, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the same sort of vibe, just a, a different person, but yeah. So that's where you know him from. I mean, you know him from, if you're of a certain age, you know him from Barney Miller. If you are from the next generation, if you remember seeing him on uh, Late Night with uh, Conan O'Brien, yeah, everybody knows who he is. Plus, also remember, there was a web page for the longest time. Wasn't it like, is <laughs> Oh No, I think it was, is <laughs> was AbeVogodaDead.com. No, 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 no. And then the day he died, yes. <laughs>
2: yeah, back in the uh, good
1: old days of the internet
2: yeah and believe it or not that website is still active if you go to isabecotaded.com you'll see yes followed by his life from February 24th 1921
1: to January 26th 2016 very nice moving on with the cast his wife was named Bernice And she was played by Florence Stanley. You would probably remember her as Judge Wilbur on My Two Dads.
3: Oh, My Two Dads.
1: Well, you remember uh, the judge on My Two Dads. She was sort of that crusty judge who didn't take any crap from anybody.
2: Yeah, she ordered the two dads to live with each other
3: you can't count on me
1: no matter what you do. You can't count on me. Yeah. And another place you might remember her from is she was the voice of the grandmother, grandma, Ethel Phillips on dinosaurs.
3: We love dinosaurs on this podcast.
1: We really do. And I've mentioned this in the past, not for her, I've mentioned it for uh, another person that we've talked about a few times. She played her role of Judge Wilbur, not just on My Two Dads, but on one episode of Night Court, the episode where Bull goes on the game show, What Am I? Because what happens in that episode is Judge Harry Stone, he gets stuck in Buffalo due to a blizzard. They have to call in a substitute judge. They call in Judge Wilbur. And um, <laughs> and Dan Fielding, he uh, gets charged with contempt in court. And uh, at the same time, they're trying to hypnotize Bull to get over his stage fright uh, to appear on this game show. And so the trigger phrase uh, that sort of puts him in the, uh, the this trance or whatever, I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to let Dan Fielding say it.
0: I want to be your love slave. <laughs> Sir, Mr. Shannon just won, and we're on the air live, you pervert. Uh, what? Ah! <laughs> oh <laughs>
1: So what happens is Bull gets on the show, ends up winning. And the thing is, the only person who can trigger that phrase in Bull is Dan Fielding. So you had, like, Marky Post, uh, Christine Sullivan saying it and other people saying it. and Oh, well, I appreciate that, Christine, but I'm not really that attracted to you. So Dan finally gets out of jail and gets to the TV studio right after Bull wins. And he gets on stage and says... Bull, I want to be your love slave. (laughs) 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 You have to find that episode that is an absolutely hilarious episode. And also, this has to do with the whole plot about uh, Dan Fielding was running for public office at that time. So after this happens, you hear the newscast, and Dan Fielding put his foot in his mouth or something like that because, yeah, he did this on this live TV show. Great episode. But yeah, that's where you'd know uh Florence Stanley from. And again, if you saw her face or, or heard her voice, you'd know exactly who we're talking about.
2: Yeah, definitely if you Not heard us her us. voice.
1: Not with us any longer. She passed away in two thousand three.
2: Yeah. And the All original right. premise was going to be Fish and Bernice, their daughter, and their daughter's Tudor. This is from Danny Arnold, who created both the character Fish on Barney Miller and this show with Theodore J. Flicker. ABC was uh, contemplating a spin-off as early as 1975 with that premise, with occasional visits to the 12th Precinct. They wanted an episode of Barney Miller to serve as the backdoor pilot to this show. Ultimately, they got one with a second season episode called Fish.
1: But as I mentioned, ultimately, it became Phil, Bernice, and their five foster kids. Plus, like I said, a college student who's helping out with the family. And we're going to go over those five precocious scamps right now. All right? Let's start with precocious scamp number one. Playing... Victor Kreutzer, that precocious scamp, is John Cassisi. And really, the only other thing that he may be remotely known for, besides Fish, is he was in the movie Bugsy Malone in 1976. Not really a long career. Oh, he was also in the Kentucky Fried movies, something we've talked about in the past.
2: Yeah, he was one of the teenagers who was getting uh, oil out of their faces of the Argod sketch.
1: Playing Jilly Popolardo, uh, that precocious scamp, we've talked about her. We talked about her not that long ago. I think we talked about her in She Wolf of London slash *Love and Curses, Denise Miller. And Denise Miller, besides this, she was also known for playing Billy Bunker on Archie Bunker's Place. She was also on Platypus Man. I remember Platypus Man. Oh my gosh.
3: Oh, Homer Simpson was very upset when of Us Man got canceled, along with the Cosby Mysteries, a show, according to Homer, that had limitless
2: possibilities.
1: I thought he also misses Sheriff Lobo. I miss Sheriff Lobo.
2: I mean, that might have been the only UPN show that Homer ever missed. I mean, you're not going to hear him talk about head over heels, just saying.
1: And also, uh, one other credit for Denise Miller that we definitely have talked about in the past. She played Tina Minucci on Making It.
3: Making it! This time in life, I'm taking it! No more! No more! Go back to episode 110.
1: Yeah, one. Yeah, we talked about that last week because that was the first episode I came back, and I was still a little drugged over, I think.
3: Hey, any excuse to talk about Rebecca Balding on this podcast, we'll go for
1: Next, playing Mike Ferroni, that precocious scamp Mike Ferroni, is Len Barry. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I haven't heard of him either. This is like his only real major role. Besides this, literally, one episode of Quincy, one episode of Hill Street Blues, that's it. That's
3: it. Talk about going out on a high note.
1: Well, well, no, that was the first role of his career. It was all downhill from there, Greg. Oh, well,
3: whatever.
1: All right. Our fourth precocious scamp. Notice they're all precocious and they're all scamps. Diane Polanski. She was played by Sarah Natoli. And, hey, you know, I just mentioned Len Barry and his career, how it went downhill after fish. We got one better here. Sarah Natoli, she was Diane Pulaski in Fish. And then after that, she appeared in the TV movie Death Penalty. And that's her career. So she had one role besides on Fish. This is not really a star boosting acting choice, uh, at least among the kids at this point. Well, I mean, Denise Miller had a good career, but we still have one scamp to go. Maybe fortunes will change. You guys judge for yourself. The fifth precocious scamp on this show, Loomis was played by Todd Bridges. Yeah, he did nothing. He, he had no career, just like everybody else on the show that was a kid. What you talking about, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, obviously, Todd Bridges, he was Willis uh, Jackson. And really, that's all we really need to say. He was Willis Jackson. And really, if you think about it, if Fish ran longer than two seasons, he probably wouldn't have been Willis Jackson. He'd still be working on Fish, probably. So talk Mm -hmm. about uh, a a lucky move. Fish getting canceled, and then later that year in 1978, he becomes Arnold Jackson, and literally the rest is history.
2: Yeah, think about this. If Fish didn't get cancelled, Todd Bridges doesn't land different strokes. Todd Bridges also doesn't land High School USA. Oh Oh, no.
1: Oh, that would ruin everything.
2: What would happen with Otto's Robot? Well, What would happen with Otto's Robot? Good question.
1: Uh, I guess the robot, instead of making love to the uh, vending machine, would make love to a a Super Pac-Man machine. (laughs)
2: <laughs> the moral of the story: The Seattle Seahawks should have gone with a run play.
1: Jeez, oh, <laughs> wow! I was not expecting any sort of call back to that Super Bowl. Jeez. He shouldn't have thrown the ball at Russell Wilson. He should have just handed it off to Marshawn. Oh, Williams. there's many things that
3: Russell Wilson should not have thrown lately. Oh, hold oh, on. Oh, boy. oh, no. What did, you, what,
1: Greg, what, what what did I do? What the hell yeah, did Tico, I do? Chico, this is all your fault. <laughs> what Greg, what? What the heck are you want, Greg?
3: Hold on a second. Cueing it up here. That's right.
0: That's right. Let's ride.
3: Shut the f- up. <laughs> I agree,
1: PFT. Shut the f up, Russell. Oh boy. Too bad. Ninety percent of that's going to be bleeped. But sure, whatever. Yeah. The only thing that's going to okay. be bleeped out is PFT saying the
3: f word. But but oh, did you? Hold on a second. Because we're recording this right before the Broncos are going to be playing in uh, London or wherever. They're playing in London, right? Yes. Okay. Well, hold on a second.
0: This is CNN Breaking News.
3: Yeah, apparently Russell Wilson was, like, doing stretches while on the plane while everyone was asleep.
2: Now, I've never been on an airline flight to London. I would like to be on an airplane line flight to London one day. But I imagine I'm going to use those five hours to, you know, sleep. Old dude is doing planks and whatnot in the aisles. What the-
3: now you see why the Broncos are doing five. Because A, Nathaniel Hackett is a terrible head coach. And I watched... All the plays he ran last week with Brett Rippon against the Jets. Oh, my God. Brett Rippon, like, overthrew his receivers, like, constantly by, like, 20 yards. And B, Russell Wilson is, like, old. Like, I don't know. This is, like, the theme of 2022. Like, all the old QBs, they old.
2: Old QBs are old, yeah. But I guess the point we're trying to make is
1: wait 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 hold on I'm going to counter Greg Russell Wilson is not that old He'll be 34 later this month November 29th he'll turn 34 but I mean okay. comparing him to no no comparing him to Rodgers and Brady where Rodgers is like 39 and Brady is like Methuselah I don't think it's a fair comparison But he's been around the block a while, yeah.
2: I guess the point we're really trying to make here is, had the winds stood fair for Fish, Todd Bridges' career would have been a whole lot different.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, we are talking about Fish. Yeah, but you make a very good point there, yeah. So, yeah, thank you for sucking fish. We got uh, Willis
2: Jackson out of it. (laughs) Yeah, put it that way.
1: There's one other name we need to talk about. Uh, We talked about this college student who assists Bernice and Phil in raising these five precocious scamps, the foster kids. And this is a name we've mentioned plenty of times in the past, playing Charlie, Uh, Again, as I said, he's a college student. He's majoring in child psychology, so he could definitely help out if you think about it with these kids. Barry Gordon.
2: Yep. Barry Gordon at this point, you know, would be, I want to say, 10 years away from a career-making role for him as Donatello on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: Yeah, that'd be about... 10 years away, give or take, yeah. And of course, since we can't leave this bait dangling here, this carrot dangling, we have to take it. He was on the last week of Match Game Hollywood Squares an hour. Let's also remember, this is the week that Gene Rayburn on the Monday episode said to Morgan Fairchild,
0: You're gorgeous.
1: It all comes full circle. It all comes back around to eventually uh, some of the Shows we've covered, Match Game Hollywood Squares. And and at some point, we've got to mention Greg Gitson taking out a guy's knee on Few. But yeah, but whatever. We'll, well, let's get to the show itself, all right?
2: Hey, hey Mike. He was also yeah. on an episode of Super Train. He was Billy Boy Brennan in Where Have You Been, Billy Boy?
1: That's great. Oh, no, now that we've mentioned Super Train we get to hear Greg uh, talk about Keenan Wynn showing the super train off. Yeah, it's right because remember Keenan Wynn, he invented that super train. He spent
3: hours and hours thinking about the super train and he couldn't wait to show it off to those people. He knew once he showed the super train they'd be like holy crap, this is amazing Keenan Wynn.
1: Well, you guys have all heard the opening to this show since, I think it was like, what, episode 301 or so when we started the new uh, open? 310. 310. Oh, it's only been uh, five weeks? All right. But still, you've heard the new opening in the last month or so. All right. How about we get down to brass tacks and talk about some episodes now that we've got the major players out of the way? Again, pretty big regular cast here when you're talking about two parents, a college kid helping out. And five precocious scamps. Okay, five foster kids. I've used that precocious scamps line too much. Let's get to some episodes since we have 35 of them. We're going to get through this hopefully pretty quickly. We'll find out. Uh, episode one, first episode was titled The Really Longest Day. Phil and Bernice arrive for their first day at their new job, taking care of five juvenile delinquents with no other place to stay. So it sounds like the type of episode that sort of describes everything. It sort of sets the plot, sets the scene. What's the term that you'd use, Chico? Expository?
2: Exposition, yes.
1: There you go. So it's an expository episode. We don't have any major guests on this first episode, but we do want to mention the writers of this episode, and actually, they wrote a couple of episodes. Looks like they wrote three episodes. We're talking about Barbara Avedon and Barbara Corday. They would later go on to create Cagney and Lacey. Oh, and actually, I'm taking a look at Barbara Corday. She wrote an episode of Turnabout.
2: Oh, oh boy.
1: Oh, God. Why do... I was taking a look at IMDb and... What's between Cagney and Lacey, which is like 1981 and 1977 78 Fish? Right there, 1979, Turnabout. And actually, Barbara Avedon wrote it
2: as well. They
1: both wrote an episode of Turnabout, the same episode of Turnabout. Oh my Well, they
2: gosh. are writing partners. But it's Turnabouts? Why? <laughs> that nightmare couldn't come from one person's mind alone. I'm sorry.
1: All right, let's go to episode two. We need a palate cleanser after talking about Turnabout. Episode two is called The Car. When Mike borrows Fish's car without permission, he has the kid arrested for theft. Whoops. Oh, I thought I was going to hear a Susan.
2: Uh Uh-oh. Well, well, you are a police detective, you can do certain things, and arresting people at will would be one of them.
1: In this episode, we have one big name. Playing Officer Sheldon in this episode is Sidney Klute. We just talked about the writing team that went on to uh, create Cagney and Lacey. He was Detective Paul LaGuardia on Cagney and Lacey. That's right, he was. Episode three is titled Power Play. When Victor suddenly starts waving money around, Fish discovers him to be a bag man for betting cards. Good heavens. Susan, how many appearances are you going to make on this episode? These kids are really precocious scamps.
2: Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. They need to quit these mean streets. Let's just say that much.
1: You'd think their foster father, being a policeman, would break them of that habit. Okay, well, maybe not in the first... Three episodes, but eventually.
2: Certainly by episode four.
1: Oh, episode four is one of those that I saw. It was a number of weeks ago, but no, there's no crime here. The the kids aren't getting into trouble. It's uh, some trouble of another sense in the fish household. Cold cash. With no budget to work with, it looks like a long, cold winter without any heat. The furnace dies right in the opening scene of the show. Fish and his wife are told how much it'll be. And it's going to be a lot of money and they can't afford it. And they struggle with, And if you've never, if you've ever had no furnace in the middle of winter, and I've had that even just for like a couple of days, it's no fun. So I fully understand where they're coming from. Playing the repairman in this episode is John Lamata He was Trevor Achmonic on ALF. He was Mr. Achmonic.
2: So he played the husband to Liz Sheridan.
1: Yeah, he played Liz Sheridan's husband. Yep. So, yeah, pretty big name there, especially if you're uh, a kid of the 80s and early 90s. You, you know that uh, about ALF. All right, let's go to episode five which is titled Fish's Job. Fish applies for a job working security at a million-dollar facility. In this episode, we actually have a father and daughter appearing as Ed Dunnigan and Peggy Dunnigan, respectively. Playing Ed Dunnigan is Richard Shaw, and you know Richard Shaw as Chuckles the Clown from the Mary Tyler Moore show. One of the funniest episodes ever is when he died. You guys have heard about the Chuckles the Clown episode, right?
2: Oh, yeah. That's a classic of television.
1: And playing Peggy Dunn again is his daughter, Wendy Shawl, And we've talked about her numerous times in the past because, one, she was on Making a Living. But also, two, she plays Francine Smith's voice on American Dad. yes. And you know how much we love American Dad around here, right, guys?
2: Oh, yeah. We love American Dad around here.
1: So, really, uh, two, I'll say legends, if you will. I mean, Wendy Shaw hasn't uh, done much big, but the thing is, you know, again, Making a Living, It's a Living, and American Dad, two pretty popular shows. Episode six. Is titled Bernice's Problem. Bernice decides to visit a psychiatrist, and Victor gets tutored in English by a pretty classmate.
3: A pretty classmate? Hold
1: on. A, A pretty classmate, yeah. Wow. And unfortunately, the pretty classmate has not done much in terms of television, hasn't done anything since 1978, since family. So we'll just skip on to episode seven. Episode seven is titled The Neighbors. When the neighbors begin to boycott the kids, Fish decides to hold an open house to show them how wrong they are about his delinquent charges. Well, you know, they did get into trouble early on, maybe between uh, episodes two and three and, and this episode, episode seven, maybe they got better. I don't know. Maybe that lack of heat told them, you know, don't be little incorrigible punks. I don't know. We do have a couple of names here. Uh, first, uh, Mrs. Lester in this episode, we just talked about this woman literally on the Mr. President episode. Kay Callan.
2: Yeah. I remember saying that she did everything. This was one of the things she did.
1: You did say that, yes. And playing Joni Kellen is Melody Thomas Scott.
3: Oh, yes, Melody Thomas Scott. And, of course, the young and the restless. What more needs to be said?
1: And not an actor, but directing this episode? Noam Pitlick.
2: He's directed everything.
1: Yeah, that's why I mentioned it. He's done many, many, many things. Definitely a known entity, as it were. Barney Miller, Taxi.
2: He even did Wings.
1: 27 episodes of Wings, Greg. 27. Including Greg. Are you sitting down? Yeah. Greg, I want you sitting down for this. He was the director on the episode, uh, The Tennis Bum, which is where the blimp yes! uh, got yes! the smashed. The blimp! Yes!
3: The blimp, <laughs> <laughs> yes! The blimp that Lowell had smashed because Roy was an idiot and didn't knock. Forget Joe said, I'm gonna fly Lowell's blimp. And Roy destroyed the blimp by opening the door without knocking.
1: And really, I think this episode is maybe Greg's second most favorite episode. Uh, Unfortunately, Noam Pitlick did not uh, direct the episode where uh, they went to go see Rent.
3: I want to see Rent. I want to see Rent. No, no, no. That's not how you do it. It's, I want to see (laughs) Rent.
1: Yeah, you got to put a little Southern drawl into it. Yeah, but that's... uh, I want to see Rent. I want to see
3: Rent. I want to see see Rent.
1: But yeah, he's a legend. He's done a lot of stuff. Uh, Hasn't been with us for a very long time. Almost 25 years. Died in early 1999. Now I want to see Rent. All right. <laughs> hey, Blame Craig. Episode 8 is titled Fire. I hope Beavis and Butthead don't make an appearance here. Fire, fire, fire. <laughs> Detective Arthur Dietrich from the 12th Precinct drops by for lunch as Fish wonders if Victor has become a dangerous fire bug. And when we mention the name uh, Detective Arthur Dietrich, again, goes back to Fish. And here's another person we just literally mentioned the previous episode, Steve Landisberg.
2: So Dietrich is wondering if Victor is starting to set fire all over the place.
1: Yeah, wondering if he's a, a, a narcissist, a, a fire bug. Yep.
2: Now, where would he get that idea, I wonder?
1: Well, I think we've already said he's a precocious scamp. I think we've mentioned that like a dozen times. So, yeah, he's a precocious little scamp. Oh, and also I should mention a writer of this episode, but also I saw this person's name on other episodes. Since we talked about this earlier, this episode, I think it's appropriate we bring it up. One of the writers here, Reinhold Weege, from Night Court. created Night Court. Oh, I always thought it was pronounced
2: Weege.
1: No, it's Weege. And that's something I found out. Yeah, I I found that out watching uh, one of the first uh, two or three seasons on DVD. One of the special features uh, got into, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. And, yeah, it's Reinhold Weege. It's not Weege. It's Weege. And just in case you don't know... Dan Fielding's given name? Reinhold. After Reinhold Weegee. Uh, excuse me. Uh, could you pass me
0: the sugar, please? Reinhold? <laughs> Just stop that now. Just stop it.
1: Okay, Rhiney. <laughs>
0: bye, everybody. Yeah, bye. Bye, Ernie. Bye. Dan. <laughs> Little maggot! How dare you come in here and ruin my life by telling everybody my name is Reinhold. Hey, hey, hey! Just thank your lucky stars I didn't tell them about the accordion.
1: So, you guys learned something here. You not only learned Dan Fielding's birth name, but you also learned how to say Reinhold's last name. Again, we don't just entertain here, we also try to educate from time to time. All right, we're going to episode nine The Social Worker. A psychiatrist from social welfare drops by to investigate the group home dynamic. Makes sense.
2: Especially with a psych student living and taking charge of things
1: well also when you have five kids uh, who, who've tried setting fire apparently have stolen a car yeah i get it all right going to episode 10 episode 10 is titled fish and roots you could probably take a guess where this might be going just based on that title. When Loomis questions where he came from, Charlie invites over an exchange student from Africa who puts the boy in touch with his roots. And actually another big name as a writer in this episode. In this episode, you had Sheldon Bull as a writer. Sheldon Bull, I personally know him best as a producer on New Heart. He produced many episodes of New Heart.
2: I know him best from his work on Coach.
1: Coach, too. You're absolutely right about that. Two very good series there.
2: It's like New Heart and Coach were basically cut from the same thread, it seems like.
1: In some ways, I can agree with that. And he also did many episodes of Mom. And currently, EP on Call Me Cat.
2: Yeah. Oh, we have a name in this episode.
1: Okay. Oh, we do. Oh, yeah, we
2: do. Yep. Play the role of Roger Kutumba, Herb Jefferson Jr. From, you know, he was Boomer on the original Battlestar Galactica. Like the original, original Battlestar Galactica.
1: Well, that wasn't where I thought you were going, because... Uh, Another crossover from Barney Miller, uncredited but appearing in this episode as Barney Miller himself is Hal Linden. All right, that takes us to episode 11, Anniversary. Mr. and Mrs. Fish plan to celebrate their 38th wedding anniversary on the same night Diane has her first date. And playing that first date for Diane, uh, his name is Edwin, the character, played by Daryl Morey. He was Mario Mastarelli on Joni Loves Chachi. That has Ooh. to be
2: an eventual cover, Joni
1: Loves Chachi.
2: Oh, definitely. Oh, fun fact he was actually a newsboy in a 1975 episode of Barney Miller.
1: So it goes back to the parent show.
2: Okay. Uh, for all we know, Edwin could very well be the newsboy.
1: Okay, that's going to take us to episode 12. The adoption. The Lester's, who we mentioned uh, previously, they decide to solve their childless situation by adopting one of the kids from the group home. And again, uh, Mrs. Lester's played by Kay Callen, And it seems like we're going to be losing a character soon. I guess we'll find out which one momentarily when we go to the next episode. Uh, the next episode is called The New Kid. Loomis clashes with a new arrival at the group home, both younger and shorter than he is. Okay, so let's take a look. Who is gone and who is new to the cast? I'm looking. I don't see any of the five kids gone, any of the original five. It looks like the sixth kid character name is Manuel Orlando, played by David Yanez. But it doesn't look like anybody, uh, any of the original five kids are off this episode. So maybe that's coming eventually.
2: Or maybe we have a case of they adopted him and all of a sudden they changed their mind. Who knows?
1: I was going to say that may be uh, the case as well. And there's one way to see if Chico's right about that. If the new kid only lasted one episode. But there is one little issue, not really an issue, one little hurdle. That episode was the last episode of season one. So to answer the question that Chico mentioned, we're going to have to go into season two. This is the end of season one, introducing this new kid. Let's see if he sticks around into season two. But we'll get to season two after a little commercial break. We'll be back in a few minutes. We'll start talking about season 2
0: we You've got to do this
1: very delicately now because that's
0: a $10,000 antique. So we'll take it from here. Blow it over to column one And when we return And return we will After this commercial break We're going to add something to it Fish Thursday I I want to say something to you That I I never thought I'd say Yeah Your dress is ready Harris really goes undercover On Barney Miller Then will Bert get the answer He's been waiting for You're living with a girl And dating a boy So which one's your girlfriend The boy to girl Find out on Soap Tomorrow night on ABC Security Pacific Bank is giving away something we sincerely hope you'll never need. A highway emergency kit. If you let us help you finance a new or used car, truck, or recreational vehicle. It has a flashing light, a fire extinguisher, flashlight and batteries, siphon, a first aid kit, and more. Now we know that a free highway emergency kit won't make you run out and buy a new vehicle. But if you're thinking about it anyway, why not get a loan from the bank you don't have to think about? Security Pacific Bank. There's a new excitement in small cars. AMC's new Spirit DL. Let the spirit move you. Let the spirit move you. Let the spirit move you to beautiful style. Let the spirit move you to a beautiful ride. Let the spirit move you. Let the spirit move you. Sporty looks, corduroy bucket seats, and a sleek instrument panel. American Motors has the spirit. Let the spirit move you. Smile. Everyone's talking about Kodak's new Colorburst, the low-priced motorized instant camera that gives you what no other instant camera can. Bright, brilliant, bursting color by Kodak. I'll prove it. From bright whites to reds, greens, yellows, whatever. There's your proof. New Colorburst cameras. After all, isn't color the way to choose an instant camera? Colorburst. New instant cameras from Kodak. Saturday, the Love Boat sails with Three's Company's Norman Fell. I'm here to live it up. Then on Fantasy Island, a lucky guy plays Three's Company. And Sonny Bono swashbuckles for Diana Canova after Love Boat. Saturday night on ABC.
1: So season two actually started just a a little bit over a month after season one ended because season one, uh, the last episode was in August of 1977 and the new season started September of 77. So not much of a break there, which might be a good thing, might be a bad thing too, but we'll see. Well, obviously we know it's not going to last outside of season two, so maybe it's not that good. Episode one of season two is the missing fish on the day of his retirement. Fish doesn't show up for work. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, what are they going to do? Fire him?
2: Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, you don't show up for work on the day of your retirement. I thought that's how retirement works.
1: I think that's how it's supposed to work, yeah. Hey, we do have a name in this episode. Actually, it's somebody we didn't talk about that long ago. Playing Detective Ryan in this episode is George Murdoch. We talked about him a number of months ago on What a Country. He played Laszlo Gabov. Going to episode two of season two, Retirement Blues. Oh, no. This sounds like he's got regrets already about retirement. He just retired. Now he's got the Retirement Blues. And actually, there is no plot listed here uh, on IMDb, but I think we can sort of suss out, yeah, Fish, Fish is now bored in retirement.
2: Uh, I actually have the uh, synopsis from Google here. It says, Bored by retirement, Fish goes out for a night on the town. Did you see a return uh, of uh, Jackman, played by Ralph Manza?
1: Did we talk about him earlier?
2: No. uh, He is a recurring player. He was in an episode from season one. Now he's in an episode of season two. And you probably remember him playing Bud on 18 episodes of New Heart.
1: Early episodes, I'm going to assume. hmm Oh, and he was also a regular on Banachek. There you go. NBC mystery movie there. Banachek. I'm sorry. Maybe it's just me. We don't give enough love to the NBC mystery movies. Columbo, Banachek, Macmillan and Wife. Well, we do give enough love to two people that were on McMillan and Wife. Number one is Susan. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And number two is John Shuck. So we uh, did give uh, some love to them.
2: Aw, oh, Shuck. <laughs> hey, all we, hey, all we need are some characters from Heck Ramsey and Lie and the Snoop Sisters, and we would have hit for the cycle.
1: Let's go to episode three, which is called Fish Behind Bars Part 1. Against his better judgment, Fish is persuaded to join a senior citizen's protest demonstration only to find himself arrested. Uh Uh-oh. 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 Obviously, after part one of that uh, episode is part two, Fish Behind Bars part two. Fish is released from jail, but his arrest may lead to his being removed from his job as a house parent at the group home.
2: Uh, We have the return of Janet Gerber, the, uh, Resident psychologists, I want to say.
1: Yeah, she's the psychologist. Yeah,
2: she. By the way, is played by Victoria Huxtable, who was not in much else besides this. But yeah.
1: All right. Episode five in season two is "Fish and the Rock Star."
2: Do you have a plot by chance? I do. An overnight visit by a rock singer affects everyone.
1: Oh, I'm sure in this episode, uh, Abe Vigoda's character, uh, Phil Fish, I'm sure he just loves having a rock singer in the house. Just saying.
2: No, (laughs) no, he does not. That's the joke. Playing the role of the rock singer, Johnny Sultan, John Lansing, who would be better known as a writer and producer for shows like Walker, Texas Ranger and Renegade.
1: Oh, Greg, Greg, hold on, Greg. You heard Chico say that uh, this John Lansing was a producer on Walker, Texas Ranger. Yes. Take a guess uh, what one of the episodes he produced was. Was it the Walker told me I have AIDS episode? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, yes. The, the two-parter, yes. Oh hey, Wait, it was a two-parter? Oh, it God. was a two-parter, yeah. Oh,
3: God. What's your How much drama do you need to
1: get out of Haley Joel Osment saying that he has AIDS?
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: I'm just reporting what I see. I know what episode it is. It's titled Lucas. But I didn't know it's a two-parter until right now. I thought it was a one-parter.
3: Wait a second. Hold on a second. I just remembered something. Do you remember that Haley Joel Osment was Little Forrest and Forrest Gump? yes that answers your question
2: now tune in next week when we figure out how haley joel osman and emily osman can possibly be related
1: that takes us to episode six of season two which is called fish's daughter fish's daughter beverly incurs her father's wrath as she prepares to marry a much older man
2: yeah, this was actually supposed to be the original premise of the show. Like, BB meet Fish, his wife, his daughter, and her fiancé. This particular case, Beverly Fish, is played by Adrian Royce, who didn't do much outside of this. She was in two episodes of Starsky and Hutch, where she played two different characters, and she was in one episode of The Bionic Woman.
1: But the person she's marrying, Roland is played by Philip Sterling. He played Dr. Simon Weiss on St. Elsewhere, and he's definitely a much older person. Died in 1998. Uh, Would have just celebrated his 100th birthday uh, within the last month if he was still alive. All right, we're going to episode seven. Episode seven in season two is Jilly's Job, another one that I don't have a plot for.
2: I got you, bro. I bet you, I bet you. I was gonna
1: say. I bet you, Chico's gonna back me up.
2: I got. Hey, I got you. Hey, we're, we're brothers. We can do this. Jilly's job. Jilly takes a modeling job that is asked to pose nude. Oh, jeez.
1: I'm glad you handled that, and not me. Okay. Yeah, the less said, the better. Just ugh, let's move on. Let's, just,
2: let's let's just move on, shall we?
1: Uh to episode eight in season two called separate uh oh separation this doesn't sound good,
2: yeah Merrill woesley fish without a bed for the night and returning for directorial duty would be Noam Pitlick
1: all right, uh no guests on there, so we're gonna go to episode nine, which is a fish Christmas Chico.
2: Fish dampens the youngsters Christmas plans by forbidding them to buy a real tree or expensive gifts.
1: I think this is another one that I just like randomly uh, watched. And again, sort of like going back to like episode three in season one uh, when the, uh, the furnace broke. Yeah. It's all about the money. It's either you get a really good Christmas tree or you guys get really good prisons, but you can't get both. So obviously there's some financial issues in this house. All right. That takes us to episode 10, Mike's career. Go for it, Chico.
2: An older woman has conditions for financing Mike's career. Older woman is Mrs. Wilson, and playing her is Dorothy Green, who played Jennifer Brooks on nine episodes of The Young and the Restless, but was known primarily for her work in the movies during the 50s and 60s. And Greg, she was on five different movies in the Walt Disney Anthology series.
3: Oh, that's terrific.
2: Yeah, Moochie of the Little League, A Diamond is the Boy's Best Friend, Moochie of the Little League, Wrong Way Moochie, and three Swamp Box movies, all from 1959 and
1: 1960. And uh, another big name as a director, we talked about Noam Pitlick, Here's another big name. Gary Shimakawa. He did uh, Archie Bunker's Place, an episode of Golden Girls. He did What's Happening Now, ALF. Done a lot of stuff. Just a big name I recognized uh, going through the credits here. All right. Episode 11 for season two, Close Encounters of the Fishy Kind.
2: A local eccentric helps fish realize the value of fantasy.
1: And the eccentric in this episode was uh, named Harry. He was played by Sean McClory. Did a lot of things, but didn't really do a lot of episodes of any particular TV show, but it, it looks like he was actually the one series. that looks like he had a decent run on was the Californians. Uh, and just taking a look at his roles here, and this isn't a round of is it typecasting, obviously. But he was on a ton of westerns back in the 50s and early 60s. That takes us to episode 12 in the second season. The Million Dollar Misunderstanding.
2: Fish faces a dilemma when an error gives him $1 million. Well, I could totally get that. I mean, after all, this is uh, the Fish household and they've been pretty much doing enough to get by for the last two seasons.
1: Yeah, they can now go buy a Christmas tree and Christmas gifts and a furnace. They can fix all their wrongs from earlier in this series.
2: But remember, this is Fish, because give Bill Fish all the credit in the world, he always does the right thing.
1: He does uh, the best thing for his family. Family first. Even though it's more or less a foster family, but still... Family's what matters.
2: Yeah, so it's like, is he going to keep that money, or is he going to turn it back in, do the right thing? Is he going to look after his family? See, this is where the dilemma comes in.
1: Episode 13 is titled A Fine Kettle of Fish. An auditor assigned to investigate the muddled financial records of the fish group home becomes infatuated with Mrs. Fish. I wonder if this is sort of a continuation to the last episode regarding you know weird financial situations. Potentially, I don't know. It, it sounds like maybe there's something there. But we have a name, and this is a name we've talked about even in the not-so-distant past. Playing Kellerman, who I'm going to assume is that auditor uh, who is infatuated with uh, Florence Stanley's character, is Norman Barthold, We didn't talk about him that long ago. I think this is going back to August. He played Mr. Brody on Teachers Only. And also, just to tie it in uh, with what we talked about last episode, Teachers Only, a Johnny Carson production.
2: He was the medieval knight in the original Westworld movie.
1: All right, going to episode 14, Charlie resigns. Chico? Chico?
2: A dispute with Fish causes Charlie to resign.
1: Boy, that's pretty simple and straightforward.
2: (laughs) That seems a little bit direct. Yeah, he gets in a fight with Fish. He leaves to Janet Gerber to report on why he got into a fight. She goes in and checks everything out. And, well, everything is settled within the half hour and he comes back. Because that's the way sitcoms work.
1: Episode 15, this is the Valentine's Day episode, because, well, first it aired February 9th of 78, but also the title, Love and Bloom.
2: A shy schoolmate pursues Diane, and Fish takes an aptitude test. Playing the role of the shy schoolmate Marvin would be Lanny Horn, who was more of a writer later in his career. He wrote Fast Food in 89, Skeeter in 93, Hot Springs Hotel from 1997 to
1: 1998. Episode 16 is called It Shouldn't Happen to a Dog.
2: The children adopt a dog. And a newspaper, oh oh no, a newspaper lists fish as dead. (laughs) Oh, shit.
1: Well, we did talk about that website earlier, is com. So, yeah, maybe Abe Vigoda had been fooling uh, uh, people since the uh, the late 70s, whether he's dead or not. I don't know. It's too bad bulletin boards didn't
3: exist on the internet in 1978. There could have been a bulletin board, is fish dead? Or is.fish.dead?
1: Oh, oh, no. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to assume this is probably uh, some sort of investigator uh, regarding uh, Fish's potential death. Playing Sergeant Brenner in this episode is Ned Glass. He played Uncle Mo Plotnick on Bridget Loves Bernie, which will be covered in the near future. And also, he was Saul Cooper on Julia, a landmark series, Julia.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. First major network series with an African-American female lead.
3: So he said the guy's name was Ned Glass, right? Ned Glass, yeah. Is he related to Philip Glass?
1: I'm kidding. That's why I didn't answer. Duh. Duh. All right. Let's go to episode 17 in season two. We're near the end. We're almost there. Love thy neighbor. When Bernice takes a job away from home, Phil feels neglected. But after a neighbor, Harriet, shows more than a casual friendship in the retired policeman, Phil perks up. I almost want to hear the buzzing, and that's eugenics. He perks up. No, never mind. Oh. The, the, those pills wouldn't exist for another twenty years. Twenty years, more like thirty. Years. Actually, th- no. Vi- Viagra was ninety-eight.
3: Oh, I thought you were talking about eugenics.
1: No, I, I just meant those. I said those pills in general. Yeah. And playing that neighbor Harriet is Erica Jan. Erica Jan. She voiced Mama Mouskowitz in American Tale. Hold on. Didn't we talk about her in the famous Teddy Z?
2: Yes, we did. Uh, Mama Dina Zakalakas.
1: Yes. Yes. And another thing that we definitely talked about her in uh, when we did the te- uh, famous Teddy Z, she was Madame Ruby in Pee Wee's Big Adventure.
3: Oh, that's terrific. I see a bicycle.
1: All right, let's get to episode 18, which is titled Sweet Sixteen. As the other kids make plans for her Sweet Sixteen birthday, Jilly confides in Bernie's with a very mature request.
2: I know what the request is.
0: For lot, for lot, for
2: Jilly wants birth control pills.
1: That's a very mature request. Oh, my gosh. In this episode playing Chuck, I don't know if maybe that's one of the friends of uh, of Jilly, uh, one of the people going to the party. Looking at his age, it sort of makes sense, because uh, he would have been about this age at that uh, point, was an actor named Philip Brown. You would probably know him from your stories, if you will. Because taking a look at his IMDb, he's known for The City? He played Buck Houston in The City. He also played Buck Houston on Loving. So we have two soap operas from the 90s there. And also another uh, one of your stories that he was on, uh, he played Steve Kendall on Search for Tomorrow in 1982 and 1983. Outside of that, he was on The Colbys. He played Neil Kittredge on The Colbys. But also... He was on the Doris Day show back in the late 60s, early 70s. Played Billy Martin, not the Yankees manager. Just wanted to clarify that in case Craig thought the Yankees manager was on
2: the Doris Day show. From 68 to 71, he would have had to have been a uh, bit of a youngin.
1: He would have been a little kid because, like I said, uh, looking at his age, he would have been probably about a teenager, give or take. Um, Might have been maybe 20 or so at the oldest. So, yeah, he would have been probably like 10 years old when he was on the Doris Day show.
2: Well, actually, he was born in 58 in uh, California. So when he gets to the Doris Day show, yeah, he would have been 10 years old.
1: Yeah, the math works. Don't mess with the math teacher. Episode 19 uh, in season two is Fire and Ice. After Bernice falls and takes bed rest, helpful widowed neighbor Harriet cooks for Phil. And again, playing Harriet is Erica Yan. We mentioned her uh, just a couple of episodes ago.
2: She cooking for a married man. She's crazy.
1: Or she's being a good neighbor. Depends how you look at it.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: Episode 20 is a pinch of class. When Bernice is out of town, Fish and the children decide to redecorate, but their plans are interrupted when Diane suffers a ruptured appendix.
2: The last thing you want when you're redecorating is sepsis.
1: Uh, Sepsis is beyond that. I'm saying it because I had that two years ago, and and you don't want. And and trust me, sepsis is not something you want to screw around with. Telling our audience that in advance, Mm -hmm. you all know the reason why. We talked about it last week. All right, episode twenty one is called "For the Love of Mike."
2: This worries when Mike. Dates a wealthy girl. A plague said girl who does not have a credit, it looks like. Stacy Nelkin, who would be best known as Ellie Grimbridge in, for my money, the best of the Halloween movies, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. That's
3: the only Halloween movie that's worth talking about. Halloween 3, that's it. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy, happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock.
1: All right, guys, that takes us to the last episode. And we do sound like uh, we have a little bit of closure here. I think they may have known the writings on the wall. The last episode is called Chief Fish. Fish decides he will leave the children to become chief of police in a town in Georgia. Sounds like we have closure. He retired. From New York, he's going down to uh, a town in Georgia to become the police uh, chief there. So, yeah, I mean, right there's your series. You have your closure. You don't have a new spinoff, though. So maybe, again, you know, there's closure, but also, I mean, ultimate closure in the sense of there's not going to be a either a third season or a spinoff of Fish, if you will, without the kids and the family.
2: Well, about that, Mike. I am looking on Truth by Consensus Wikipedia here, and according to them, it said that the series itself had no set episode written as a finale, and that three years later, on an episode of Barney Miller, where Phil Fish would make a guest appearance, he said the money for the group home had been cut off, so the city took back the kids. And that Victor had gotten arrested for assault and battery, and Jilly had gotten pregnant and married the baby's father.
1: And Loomis, he went over to NBC, and his last name turned into Drummond.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing he went by his middle name on the show, Loomis, and his first name was actually Willis. Who knows? But yeah, all of that was uh, sussed out in Season 7, Episode 18, Lady and the Bomb.
1: That would have been a later episode of Barney Miller. Would that have been final
2: season? 81, 82? Maybe penultimate season. But normally we'd ask, hey, where did the show go wrong? But the thing of it is, the show actually did well for itself. But it was canceled after season two when, and again, this is according to uh, the book Killing Willis from Different Strokes to the Mean Streets to the Life I Always Wanted by Todd Bridges. Fish was canceled after Abe Vigoda demanded more money for a third season than the producers were willing to pay. So again, the show really did well for itself, and the uh, character's chemistry was spot on, and it was actually a really good show to watch. By the way, you can watch almost all of the episodes of Fish if you are on Crackle. But Abe pagoda wanted more money and they were not willing to pay more money for more Fish. So I guess the character was cycled back into Barney Miller.
1: And going back to something that you mentioned uh, just now, the reason I picked this series for the election show, about two months ago, Decades had a weekend binge. The first part of the weekend was Bridget uh, loves Bernie, which we talked about earlier. And the second part of the weekend was fish of all things. Cause I mean, if you look at the two shows, Bridget and Bernie only ran one season. So there's probably 22 episodes, give or take. And then fish, obviously we said 35. So that fills a weekend in pretty nicely there. And That weekend, I know that Bridget Loves Bernie, the entire episode ran at least one uh, cycle, if not two cycles, and every episode of Fish did air as well, because I actually sat on my computer that I used to record stuff, I did a season pass on Fish, and I ended up with like 40-some recordings, so I've got the whole series on my laptop.
2: But yeah, the show almost... In its entirety, is available on Decades. You can also stream it for free on Plex and Crackle. If you want to stream it on Fubo TV, you need to subscribe to that service. But if you can't be bothered with streaming, or if you like the security of hard media, the entire series is also available as part of Shout Factory's Barney Miller Complete Series release.
1: All right. Well, one thing I think we need to talk about is the scheduling. Because taking a look at the schedule, this is not a good time for ABC on Saturday nights. Because that's when this uh, originally aired. Uh, It started at 8.30 p.m. and it then went back to 8 p.m. I'll tell you the competition first, but then I want you to hear all the series that ABC put in between 8 and 9 p.m. time slot, because there's shows we've talked about and there's shows that we're going to talk about. And there's one show that we're not going to talk about for obvious reasons. Uh, When Fish was on at 8.30 to start, it was up against, and these are two shows, well, one of them was, I think, sort of waning. Actually, I think both were waning at this point in early 77. CBS had the Bob Newhart show, because I think that only lasted until 78. So this is second to last season of Bob Newhart's show. And on NBC, I think this is the last season of this show, Emergency. It was on a, against the second half hour of Emergency. So two pretty big shows there. When it moved to 8 o'clock, again, still going up against Emergency. Uh, But this would have been the the last season of uh, this show that went up against on CBS, the Mary Tyler Moore show. So, so, yeah, it went against real tough competition on both CBS and NBC. But again, if I give you the names of all the shows that either aired at 8 or 830 on ABC, only one had a decent uh, run. And you can guess which one it is. I'll just tell you right now, it's Wonder Woman. That aired summer of 77. But the other shows that aired on ABC from fall of 76 to uh, summer of 77, this is like a who's who of shows that we're going to cover or we have already covered. Obviously Fish, Homes and Yo-Yo, previously covered, Mr. T and Tina on the list, Blansky's Beauties on the list, and Sugar Time on the list. Outside of Wonder Woman, they could not find anything to stick around. And I think at this point, Wonder Woman, this was like the first year or like the pilot or something like that. So it wasn't even really on the schedule at this point.
2: Yeah, and I think it would have moved to a CBS for season two, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I think you're right. So yeah, yeah. uh A- ABC did not have any luck in seventy six seventy seven in the eight
2: to nine o'clock hour. Yeah, and it wouldn't have any luck in the seventy seven seventy eight season for that hour either. In fact, if you look at ABC's Saturday schedule, the only two hits in seventy seven, obviously, would be Starsky and Hutch. And then in seventy seven at ten o'clock would be A little show from Aaron Spelling called The Love Boat. Uh,
1: And actually, the competition uh, for the start of uh, fall 77, uh, again, it went up against the Bob Newhart show because I said, uh, well, at this point, it's going to be the final season because it ended in 78. But on NBC, emergency, like I said, final season. Now it's going up against the Bionic Woman. They just can't find a break. But however, there is a little bit of a break here because Fish eventually gets moved to Thursday nights. Thursday nights at 830. Well, I'm going to take back what I said about a little break because here's the competition. And uh, it's going against the second half hour of both of these TV shows. On CBS, a show that's at this point would be in probably its eighth season or seventh season, the Waltons. So that's not good competition. But also on NBC, the second half hour of, and I think this would have been the first year of uh, this show, fish went up against chips, fish and chips. Sometimes the jokes just write themselves. So yeah, it seemed like wherever it went, it was up against really, really, really tough competition. So you can't say it failed due to a lack of trying. It's just wherever it went, boom, 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 boom. It got hit by good series after good series after good series.
2: Yeah. It seems like they were trying different time slots for Bish. I remember one time it was on a Friday, but it was up against CPO Sharky. That didn't work, obviously. And then they tried it on a Monday when it was up against both Logan's Run on CBS and Little House on NBC. That didn't work. They just could not find any sort of time slot for it to grow and flourish and get the money that they needed to keep Abe Pagoda on for a possible season three. Because remember, they canceled Fish because Abe Pagoda wanted more money.
1: Well, that's just about all we can say. The show did not work out in the favor of ABC and Fish. And maybe Abe Vagoda tried biting off a little more than he could chew. And unfortunately, fish, as we sort of mentioned earlier, in the long line of spin-offs that just didn't click, it just unfortunately became a thing on TV. But a memorable thing on TV. Yes, people do make fun of fish, but I got to give it credit. It tried. It had a good cast. I mean, we mentioned all the names going from Todd Bridges to Denise Miller to Florence Stanley. You can't say it had a bad cast. I mean, maybe you can because how many of the people that were on the show only had one or two other TV shows? But still, you had some pieces there that worked and obviously went out to do bigger and better things. Well, that's it for this episode. Again, thank you for participating in the voting. Don't forget, if you'd like to revisit this episode at any time or any of our previous installments, 319 of them, or any of the live shows or any of the mini any of the things we've done, remember, please go to com. Everything is there. And don't forget about our socials everywhere except for Facebook. We're at, it was a thing on TV, on Facebook. You have to add the word podcast. And also don't forget, please go to our YouTube page. Subscribe to our YouTube page. I just noticed today, I don't check the YouTube page. That's not uh, one thing that I do. I'm not the person that uh, runs that page. But I noticed we had 260 some subscribers. Yeah. I think that's amazing.
3: Yeah. We're a quarter of the way to a
2: thousand. So where do we get those nice little YouTube plaques,
3: huh? I think you got to wait till you get to like 100,000 to get them. Oh,
2: dang it. Okay.
1: So we're only 99,750 people away from getting a plaque. Okay. So Something like that. Hang in there, Chico. We'll get there eventually. But also another thing I noticed on the YouTube page, for some reason, if you look at the total number of views for each episode they're generally consistently between like 50 and 400 or 500 views. And then for some reason, and I don't think any of us can explain this, the poison Ivy episode with Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon, that is 34,000 views.
3: I can't explain it.
1: Oh. I, I, I
2: got nothing. I've I, I got I, nothing.
1: N- yeah. I, I know there's outliers, you know, being the, the math teacher, the statistics teacher, But that's an outlier when you have all sorts of like in the 100, 200, 400 range. And then you've got one video that has 34,000. I don't get it. But you know what? We'll take it. But anyhow, going back to the YouTube, don't forget, please subscribe. Hit that notification bell. We'll keep you connected with our most recent updates. All righty. Next week. Oh, next week. Oh, this is going to be interesting next week. This really is going to be interesting because, A, the first episode we're going to do is actually a listener request. Was this requested how long ago? Was this back in spring, I think?
2: I want to say it was spring. I can tell you right now, not to put too fine of a point on it, but the person who, I want to say the person who requested this maybe was on television over the last week. Maybe playing for a second chance, maybe. Maybe on a certain quiz show, maybe. Wow, Chico, that's
1: amazing. I know what show you're talking about. Thank you to that person for listening. Oh my gosh, that's a a cool follower. I love it. So yeah, we're going to get that listener request done kind of in a timely manner if you think about it. Uh, Well, yeah, I haven't seen the result of that show yet, but... Yeah, uh, that person may be playing in future days. But also, second episode. This is one that we've talked about for some time. We've talked about, well, this person's a Hall of Fame. We put this person in the Hall of Fame last year. And this show, uh, the the person who played uh, this character that left this long-running show, uh, he left because his plane was downed over the Sea of Japan, I think you know who we're talking about. Greg wants to build a statue of him in his backyard. I have no idea who we're talking about. But yeah, there's two episodes right there. That listener request and that show after the plane got downed in the Sea of Japan. Boy, who am I talking about? I don't know. But be here next week for both of those shows. Right here at It Was a Thing on TV. Again, as always, thank you for listening. We enjoy hearing from you. We enjoy uh, seeing uh, the ratings that you give us uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. Please spread the word. We appreciate it. Have a good rest of the weekend. We'll see you coming up on Monday. In the past year or so, soda manufacturers have scored a big hit by adding lime to their products. There's Coke with lime. There's Pepsi with lime and many, many more. Well, our next character is the latest variation on soda with lime. Here's Vagoda with lime. The motor in line,
0: the motor in line TV's fish is now more delicious With a tangy twist of line
2: The motor in line, the motor in line